Excited to uh, to be here with everyone this morning. We have an amazing church. Um, the people that come, obviously, and uh, just this, this church is something, and that has been something that's been super special uh, in my life. I uh, started coming here about I don't know seven years ago. I met my wife uh, at the at the young adults group. She shared a hamburger with me, and the rest is history. Yeah. Um, and so that was amazing. And then uh, got sent off to Bible college. We got married right here where I'm standing. Um, my daughter got dedicated here, Audrey did. And uh, just sitting under the word of God, Pastor Ross's teachings and just growing a lot. And just getting to know a lot of you guys too has been such a blessing and encouragement in my life. So uh, yeah, it's just an honor to be able to be here and, and, uh, and just um, bring a message, bring God's word. And so uh, yeah, I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll get into it. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, just, um, yeah, we thank you, God, for being here, God. We thank you for uh, your love. We thank you for the gift of this day, God. And um, yeah, God, that you have made a way that you can be known. The God who created the universe can be known. And uh, we're thankful that that you reveal yourself to us, God. And just pray for this morning's service, God, as we get into, uh, into your word, God, that you change us, uh, that you transform our hearts, God, that we would not be the same people, that walk through the doors today is when we leave, God, and that only by your word and by the power of your spirit, God, can we change. And so reveal yourself to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So I read, I read an article uh, by the BBC that was titled, The Greatest Stories Ever Told, The Most Influ- Influential Books That Has Ever Shaped Our World. And so there was books in there, The Odyssey, I think by Homer, The Great Gatsby, George Orwell's 1984, Mice and Men. I read that one in high school. Uh, Green Eggs and Ham. I'm just kidding. (laughs) That one wasn't in there. Hop on Pop. No, those weren't in there. But I believe that the best story that has ever been uttered from human lips uh, is the story of the prodigal son. And so we're going to turn there right now, and I'm going to read the story. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, and I'm going to read the story right now. Verse 11 says, Jesus continued, and there was a man who had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your hired servant. So he got up and he went to the father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And so they began to celebrate. Talking about a story that influenced and and shaped the world, but but more so influenced and shaped millions and millions of heart and many of us here today. Um, Yeah, the best story I would say that ever had come from human lips. And the reason that I would say that is one, uh, it comes from the son of God. The story comes from Jesus. And two, because more than any other story that I could think of, it reveals God's heart in the most clear and the most beautiful way. Think about that. God who created the universe, created the billions of stars in our galaxy and the galaxy and the billions of galaxies in the universe. He created the whole universe and then all the way down, right? Creation, the mountains, the, the, the trees, the rivers, the ocean, everything that's beauty created humans, us. Babies, he created all the way down to little bugs that the kids like to play with, roly polies, grains in the sand. He created all of it. And we can know that God. And we can know what he's like. We can know what his affections are, what brings him joy, as we see here in the story, what gives him over the top excited, even what he feels, what his emotions are. And that's an amazing thing to think about. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I'll say that again. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And that's so true. What we believe is going to determine how we live, right? What we believe about God is going to determine how we interact with God and how we interact with the world. Um, What we believe determines how I live. If I believe that all of you guys were an angry mob coming to get me, right? If I really believe that, I'd be running out the door, right? And so belief determines how we live, determines action. Um, So that's good. So relating to God, if I believe God is omnipresent, that means everywhere all the time, that's going to change the way that I act when I'm alone, right? And if I believe that God is a personal God, that's going to change the way that I talk to him, my prayer life, how I relate to him. If I believe that God is sovereign, it's going to change how I trust him in hard times. And some of us, though, even though if we don't verbally say it or admit it, we, uh, we interact with God like maybe he's up there just keeping tallies for every time that we mess up, right? And that he holds us at a distance when we, when we fall short, when we sin. Um, he holds us at a distance. So that some of us think that he's kind of like the father when the son comes home with a bee, that he's sitting there with his arms crossed, scowling, and just shaking his head, right? But that's not our God. And as this parable is going to uh, make clear to us, this parable is going to show us what's deep in God's heart. And he wants us to know that. And so this is a parable. Parables are like atomic truth bombs that Jesus would lay a lot of times. And uh, we get one big truth about who God is based on a story that he tells. Um, And this is no different. We have to be careful. We can't get all of our theology and all of our doctrine just based on one parable. We, We interpret scripture with scripture. And some people would look at this story and some people have looked at this story and they would say, oh, there's no need. You know, it doesn't talk about repentance, which this does talk about repentance. There's a beautiful picture of repentance in here. It doesn't talk about God's justice. 
his holiness, his wrath. You know, God is just good um, and nothing else. Like God is good, but he's also holy and he's also just and he's also righteous and he'll punish sin. He hates sin. But at the same time, God is the most loving and the most merciful and the most forgiving being that's ever lived. And he wants us to know that. And that's what the story is about. Before we get into the story, there's two There's two things that we have to understand that's gonna help us better understand this story. And one of them is the culture. What we understand um, at this culture 2,000 years ago and in in the Middle Eastern culture even today, it's a shame, honor driven culture. So you do everything possible to bring honor to to yourself and your family and to God and you avoid at all costs bringing any kind of shame or disgrace. And that's how how the society operates. That's how family operated then at that time. And so we have to understand that. And the next one is we have to look at the context of when the story is given. So let's look at Luke 15 verses one and two. I think it'll be on the screen. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. All right, so we have two people, two groups of people here. We have the, the tax collectors and the sinners, and we see them here gathering around Jesus. They're gathering close to Jesus. These are um, essentially the bottom of the barrel of society in that culture. This is the, the, the sinners, the ones who don't know God, uh, the immoral, the, the tax collectors, the ones, tax collectors, the ones that traded, uh, sold out, and... Um, work for the Roman uh, government, right? And so they're traitors. This is the bottom of the barrel. And then we see the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees are the ones that prided themselves on knowing God, knowing who he was, knowing his law, and teaching the people about who God was. And so it's in this context that Jesus gives this story, right? It's in this context with the Pharisees, the ones that were, find themselves away muttering, this guy eats with sinners, and that was a big hangup for them. And there's the same thing that attracted the sinners to him. They saw Jesus, the way that he preached, the way that he taught, the miracles that he did and how he interacted, that he welcomed sinners as long as they turned to him and come to him. But the Pharisees, on the other hand, didn't. They saw, and one of the big reasons that they rejected him is who he associated with, right? So we see the woman at the well, right? How they responded there. We see in Luke chapter seven, uh, this sinful woman who anointed Jesus's feet with oil, right? And they said, you let a sinner touch you, right? And so it's in that context that Jesus tells this story with the Pharisees listening, the sinners close. And what he's saying is, is he's saying to the Pharisees, you guys don't know God, because if you knew God, you would also be close. And if you knew God, you would see what his heart is like. Let me teach you what his heart is like. And so he starts there, verses, one, or verses 11 and 12. He says, we're gonna look at the rebel here in this story, verse 11 and 12. And Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons and the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of this estate." And so we divided the property between them. There we go. This is amazing. Verse one and two, uh, paraphrasing, you guys, the son says, essentially, dad, you're dead to me give me my money, give me my inheritance, give me my estate, right? Because in that culture too, inheritance is passed on after the parents pass away. But the son said, I want my inheritance now, right? You're dead to me. The sting that the father must have felt, you know, the shame that that would be all together. Imagine that situation, right? What would have been proper for him to do, the father to do, would to bring the son out and there would be a, a public beating to restore honor and to to show like this is a shameful thing. That was what would have been proper in that culture. 
Also another shameful thing, if you know anything about the Jewish culture at this time, it was the eldest son. The eldest son was the one that had the birthright, right? And so the son is overstepping his brother, over, overstepping um, that way. And so there was another shameful thing. And last, we see the father actually give him the inheritance. He gives him one third of the state and the Pharisees see this and they hear this and they say, wow, he must be thinking what a soft and weak God, like a real man would deal with that. A real man would deal with that. And we're gonna talk about that in a second. But I also, it also comes to my mind, why, why did uh, he rebel? What was going on? Why did, why did the rebel rebel? And the answer is because he's a rebel. Right? The Bible says no one seeks God, no one desires him, no one goes after him. All have gone astray, all go and do their own thing. Right? And so we're all prodigals, we're all rebels. The Bible says since Adam all the way, all the way through, we're born with a rebel nature to do our own thing, to be self-centered, to to be all about me, myself, and I. But another reason that I think of why this son maybe rebelled was his father wouldn't let him do what he wanted to do. Maybe felt a little restrictive that he didn't have his freedom. Uh, I don't know exactly what it would've been like, but I imagine just based on the story that, that, uh, that he felt restricted, he didn't have his freedom. He wanted to do what he wanted to do and therefore he left. Last year, I want us to, or I want us to focus on one thing too. Uh, that's in verse 12, we see there it says, give me. Now this is the cry of a rebel. Father, you're dead to me, give me. Give me, give me, give me. That ultimately is the cry of someone who's in rebellion. If we're only coming to God for everything, for everything that I need or I want or just simply material things, and let me get this straight, there's nothing wrong with asking God for things, right? And there's nothing wrong for, for material things. And James makes it clear, he says, you have, you, have, you have not because you ask not. But if that's the only reason that you're coming to God and if that's the, the heartbeat of your life is me, 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 give me, give me, give me, then... You have the heart of a rebel. And that's what, this, that's what this son is. And we're gonna see how that's gonna be dealt with. But last year, I wanna talk about the reason that the father let him go. Uh, Pastor Ross mentioned this to me and I thought it's so true. He says, painful experiences and consequences are better evangelists than Billy Graham. Isn't that the truth, right? Sometimes we learn through just hard times, making, making our own dumb decisions, our own, our own mistakes. And that's the place that God reaches in and grabs us and gets a hold of us. It's so true. Um, but also, uh, I know this to be true because knowing the character of God, he was, he's not weak. The father is not soft. The reason that he let the, that let the son go is because he is loving, because he is good, and because he is the most wise that has ever lived. Um, God loves us enough to let us choose our path, let us choose which way we'll go. He'll even give us over to our own desires that we may see the end of that be emptiness and loneliness and brokenness, vanity, right? And he hopes that we see that with the purpose of coming back to him, coming back to him with a different perspective, with a different heart, as a different person and cling to him closely. Um, a couple, uh, we lived, my wife and myself and uh, Audrey, we lived in Hillsburg. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the area much, but we lived up by Fitch Mountain. And so it's like the middle of the woods and it was, it was really awesome. There was uh, paths that we could run and go and do things. And um, that's funny because my little daughter, she loves to run. 
always running around in it. And it's funny because uh, my wife and my daughter, they actually have um, a blood disease called thalassemia. And we took Audrey to get checked out. And the doctors pretty much said, there's nothing super serious, but she's probably not going to be running any races or marathons. And sure enough, two years later, she's running around, running a whole mile without stopping. And I'm like tagging along with her. And she's like, are you tired yet? We already ran a mile. And she looks at me and says, no, daddy, we're just running. I'm like, are you kidding? So anyways, we're, we're running. I'm taking her out this time. And I am notorious for uh, taking my daughter out. And she'll come back with scrapes and bruises. And you know, she's just roughed up. And I get in trouble with mama. And so this particular time, we go out. And we're running on the path. And Audrey's wanting to run. But I'm like, it's not happening on my watch this time. right? And so as we're running, I grab the back of her, of her, of her sweater. I'm holding on to it, you know, so she's not going too fast. And so if she falls, I can just like snag her. And it was bothering her. She kept on like swatting back there and like shaking it off. And, and, uh, uh, and uh, we finally get down to the bottom of the hill and she just had enough. And she just turns around and says, two years old, daddy, you go this way and I go this way. <laughs> I was like, what did you say? Are you serious? I'm like, what did you say? She says, you go this way. And I go this way. Well, you want me to go this way. All right, all right. And you're going to go that way? She's just shaking her head. Stone cold face. I was like, all right. So she starts walking away, and I'm just standing there, just seeing what she's going to do. And she peeks over every you know, few steps. She'll peek over her shoulder. And then I just thought it would just be funny to see what happened if I jumped in the bush next to me. And so, so she, as she turned around, the next time I hop in the bush right next to me, and I'm just looking through the bush. And the next time she turned around, she looks around a little bit and her eyes get all big and you can just see like this fear and like this, like a little bit of terror. And I quickly hopped back out real quick and she saw me and just like ran beeline, <laughs> beeline towards me and just gave me the biggest hug, held onto my leg the rest of that whole walk and many walks after that. She was right by, right by my side, <laughs> right by my side. And, and uh, God, God taught me, you know, in that moment that he'll let us go our own way. And, um, but the hope is that we see, you know, even like even fear, like this is a not safe place to be. And that would drive us back to God, you know, that we would cling to the safest place that we could ever be um, for the rest of our walk with the Lord. And so, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, and next we're going to look at, uh, we're going to take a look at how this rebel um, ultimately wrecks, wrecks his life. The the, the journey that he takes. So we'll be in verse 13. Verse 13 says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country, country and there he squandered all his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. It's a good place to be if, uh, if you are not walking with the Lord in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country and he sent him to feed his pigs and he longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. All right, so verse 13, we see the departure. The younger son leaves, right? Slams the door behind him. I'm out of here, right? And hightails it out of that town. Probably felt really good, you know, freedom. I'm out of here. And, uh, you know, can't imagine what the father had felt like seeing that happen. Um, it was a shameful thing, though, as well, because Israel was the promised land, right? And for a good Jewish boy, you're not supposed to go to a, to a distant country, not to go to a pagan and a Gentile land. You guys heard, I think it's in Acts chapter 13, they talk about you know, wiping the, the dust off of your feet. 
And the reason is that is that was a that was a thing to where if you were in a pagan land, you would wipe the dust off of your feet when you come back into the holy land as to not defile it. So this was a shameful thing for him. You know, when Jesus is telling the story, the Pharisees are probably like, oh, you know, gasping. I can't believe this. And so then he arrives in the distant country and um, and he just lives it up, wild living. Let's loose, takes all the money that his father has earned that, that he took disgracefully and he starts spending it on, on himself and parties and bars and, you know, all of, all of that. Um, and that's where, that's where we get the name prodigal. Prodigal just means extravagantly wasteful. You gotta do all the things probably that his father wouldn't let him do, but, you know, what comes up must go down. Every party comes to an end. The resources ran out and as the money ran out, friends disappeared also. Says he was alone, right? Proverbs 19, six says, everyone is a friend of one of the one who gives gifts, right? But the gifts are gone, so are the friends. And he, verse 15 says, he began to be in need. I remember reading that thinking, I was thinking this and I was like, why didn't he just go home then? Right? We see a little bit here in the, the next part. He, he, get, he digs a shovel and digs himself a little deeper. But verse 15, it comes to this place where it's like, I'm in need. I messed up. Right? And so I was thinking about that. And I think that there's two reasons a lot of times people don't come to God whenever that need comes up. Maybe three, but we'll go over two. Pride. Right? I can do it myself. I can keep going. You know, I don't want to go back. Right? So the pride may be set in. The other one, shame, right? My father would never take me back after all that I've done, like all of the things that I've done, he'll never welcome me back. And those things could very well, you know, kept him from going to the father. Um, going back to home, maybe it was just, he just wanted to continue doing what he was doing. But here we see uh, that those th- two things keep him from going to God, um, and that's exactly what happens. And like I said, he could have stopped here, but instead he gets a shovel out and just keeps digging. We see that he joined himself to work for a, a, a pagan Gentile and then also you know, to go feed pigs. And so he's in the mud and the slop alone. He's like, I'm about to die. I just want the food that those, that those pigs are eating. This is low, low, low place. In the beginning of... Uh, of the lockdowns and things, we started a food ministry, which, which uh, Dick Aloy is still carrying on, which is awesome. But es- essentially what happens is the Redwood Gospel Mission, grocery stores will donate food to them a couple days before the food expires because then they could write it off on their taxes. And so all the food would go to the Redwood Gospel Mission and then we, they had a, an abundance. So we would go and get food and we would distribute to the people in, in need in our church. And we still do that. But, um, but I asked, there would still be food left over after we would go there. And I would say, where does all this food go? you know, that you guys don't, that people don't pick up. And they would say, oh, it goes to Petaluma to the pig farms. And so I just imagine that just curdled milk and yogurt and just gross food. Like that's, that's what the pigs eat. And that's where this guy is. He's in the lowest of low. He's in a low, low place. Um, but even that would be low for us, but put, times that by a thousand um, because he is a Jewish boy and he knows what Leviticus eleven seven says about about pigs being unclean, right? A good Jewish boy would know that's a shameful thing to, to be around pigs. And so you guys get the picture, right? There's a lot of shameful things happening, a lot that Jesus is painting this picture. Let me talk about sin for a second. Sin always over promises and under delivers. 
Sin always overpromises and under, under delivers. That's the truth. Sin promised this guy freedom, riches, excitement, popularity, affirmation, and endless possibilities. Yet it left him in a pig pen. Sin left him dirty and alone and broke, hopeless, ashamed, and near the brink of death. A Bible college teacher, I remember, he said this. He said, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. will keep you there longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it'll cost you more than you'd ever wish to pay. That's the reality of life whenever you turn and go your own way, when you turn your own own thing from God. Um, But there's hope, and we're going to see that hope in the next part in the repent, uh, as we talk about in verse 17 through 20, we're going to look at the the repentant. There is hope. but just to, just to set the stage again a little bit more, Jesus telling the story, Pharisees gasping. Just what a disgraceful, like Jesus is painting the most disgraceful, most absurd, most outlandish character he can ever think of, right? What he did to his daughter, or what he did to his dad. You're dead to me, give me my money. Step, stepping over his brother's birthright. Leaving going and rebelling, leaving, going into a distant pagan land, the immorality that he was living with, sexual immorality, all, all of it, all of those things weighing, Jesus is painting this picture. And then going and tying himself to a pagan coworker and then being in the, in the pig pen, you know, just shame, 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 guilt, guilt, guilt. And these Pharisees are probably like, if they were still even sticking around at that time, they were like, this is, this is, this is a horrible, horrible, disgraceful person. All right, and so here we're gonna see that there's hope. Verse 17 says, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. Man, this, verse 17, when he came to his senses, it's one of the most beautiful things that can ever happen in a rebel's life. When he came to his senses. Uh, senses another, another translation, when he came to himself, right? The light, this is the moment the light bulb goes off, right? The aha moment, the smelling salts. This is truly who you are. This is the state, this is the condition that you're in. And by God's grace, he's revealing that to you and he's giving you the opportunity to change. So beautiful. This, this 17 through 20 is a beautiful example of, of biblical repentance. The light bulb moment goes off, but that's not enough for true repentance. And repentance is necessary for salvation. The Bible talks about it. You must repent and believe to be saved. You must turn from your sin and trust in God. Uh, Jesus preached it. John the Baptist preached it. All the apostles, the first things they preached, they talked about repentance because it's so important. Um, yeah, so it's uh, not complete though, verse 17. Where it's complete is in verse 20. It, it left his mind and it went to action. It says, so he got up and he went to his father. He got up and he went to his father. True repentance will always have action behind it. Because you could just stay there. You could stay there in the mud. You could have the light bulb go off and you could just stay stay in the pig pen. You could stay in the shame. You could stay in the guilt. Can, can stay and just choose your sin over going back right? So it has to have action. action. It was a crazy thing this morning. I, I got here, uh, I got here at, uh, around 5 a.m. and I parked over at the, it's still dark out and parked over next door at the parking lot. And I, 
I open my door, and it's just it's so funny how God works, amazing how God works. I, I open my door, and as I open my door, walking to the sidewalk, there comes a guy on a, a bicycle, and we stop, and we start talking to each other, and uh, he ends up being, he, he looked rough, really rough, and he ends up being, uh, he's a pastor's kid, a prodigal, yeah. He knew, knew the scriptures. We started, I started asking him about you know, how, how he was doing because he was talking about, oh, I told him I was a pastor and I was going to teach actually today. And he was like, oh, my dad is a pastor. And so I asked him, how was your walk with the Lord? And he knew, he knew about God's grace. He knew about God's goodness, about his generosity. He knew the scriptures. Um, and there was actually like, there was a contriteness in his heart where he knew what he was doing. And he's uh, addicted to fentanyl. And just that's the that's the area that he that he's gone and um, I talked to him about you know like going back to God like you could, let's go to the we could get you in the mission and things like that but he uh, at least as of this morning he didn't you know want that he's like God will God will uh, God will let me know when it's time to come back to him and I was like I'm here I t- I'm preaching on the prodigal son this morning you're a prodigal. Like, what do you want? So I got to pray for him and uh, we'll continue to pray for him. But it, it takes more than just the understanding here. It has to be here and it has to carry out to action, right? So that's a, that's a beautiful uh, example of biblical um, repentance. Um, I love the speech too. It's another example, right? We see in verse 18, he has um, the recognition of sin, verse 18, the recognition of sin. He has a humility, right? He's no longer worthy, um, he says in verse 19. And then verse, and then next, um, and this is something that's absolutely amazing. I kind of highlighted the give me, give me, give me. That's the cry of the rebel. But here we see the cry of the repentant. He says, make me, make me, make me more like you, Christ. Make me more like your son. Make me more compassionate. Make me more gentle. Make me more loving. Make me more generous. Make me love as he loved. Make me like Jesus, right? And that's the purpose of our life. There's nothing wrong with things. There's nothing wrong with possessions, but the purpose of our lives as Christian, as Christians is to be conformed to the image of God, right? Romans chapter eight, he predestined us before the foundation of the earth to be conform to the image of his son, right? And so God works all of those things out to mold us and to shape us. And that should be our, our heart's cry as repent. Lord, make me whatever you want. I'm here. Have your way in me. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to be like? Mold me. And that's the heart. And that's the cry of, of the repentant. Um, yeah, next, let's see what, how things shake up as the rebel heads home to the father. We'll see what kind of reception that he gets. And this is the beautiful part that we're going to see is, again, Jesus is telling the greatest story ever told with the sinners close to him. The Pharisees, you know, at a distance, he's going to describe what, what the father, what our, God, what our God is really like. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion that's so amazing. Father saw him. That means he was looking. He's in the he's in the city and he's looking over, you know, looking over the hill. Doesn't matter how he got wounded by what his son has done, the the rebellion of the son. He was waiting expectantly for his son. And he wasn't waiting to take revenge or waiting with anger. Right? But it says that he was waiting and that he was filled with compassion. 
he was filled with compassion, right? I don't know if I would have been like that, right? Taking everything, everything, the inheritance, and went and just wasted it. It comes back. Wow, this is an amazing God that we have, that we serve. Man, a good glimpse of what God is like to sinners who come to him. Not filled with anger, but filled with compassion. And next we see here one of the most beautiful pictures, I would say, of the gospel. We see here uh, that he runs to him. Right? And here's the thing. Old men did not run in that culture. This was another shameful and unbecoming thing of what the, what the father is doing here. They didn't run to him. It was, it was not kosher. Right? It's kind of like uh, PE with the youth today. They don't run very much. I don't there. <laughs> I said that to the youth and they disagreed with me, but like not, not as much as they used to make us run. But uh, no, um, yeah, it was unbecoming of a, of a man to, to run. And one of the reasons that it was a shameful thing is because in the Middle Eastern culture, and you see it still today, like cover your body, right? Um, even the guys, they would wear the long robes, right? And, but in order to run, you couldn't run with that robe on. So you would have to, in order to run, you'd have to lift up the robe to be able to run, thus exposing your lust, thus your legs, thus. It was a shameful thing. And this is just one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel. And put yourself in this time, in this frame. Um, you have the son who's spoiled everything. They would have had a funeral also. I think I forgot to mention this. They would have had a funeral when he left. It brought such disgrace and such shame. You're dead to us. They'd have a funeral for him when he, when he departed. And all, and all of those things. And he's coming, he's coming back now. The ultimate walk of shame. Right? Doesn't know how his dad's going to receive him. Doesn't know how the town's going to receive him. Most likely when he gets there, the town will ridicule him and make his life miserable, shame him, all of those things. But we see here that the father runs from him. And he is a picture of him taking the shame from the son. The son in soiled rags, dirty, smelling like pigs. Just a gross, gross picture. And, this, and the father sees that. And he takes the attention onto himself. He takes the shame onto himself. And another beautiful picture, he gets there, right? And he's got that, those clothes just ragged and nasty and disgusting, right? And the son starts to apologize and go over his lines of apology. And the, the father doesn't even take, he cuts him off and says, go get him a robe, the best robe that we have and put it on him. Cover his shame, cover his sin, cover his guilt. It's a beautiful picture of what Christ did, the great exchange, right? And Pastor Ross quoted this, this uh, scripture, but he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. And even a better picture of what Jesus had done for us is he actually put those filthy rags on himself. He lived that, he bore that for us, for love for us, because that's what his heart is. That's what his heart is for us. Wow, it's so amazing. Right? And then we just see a, an example of just complete restoration. Right? The son tries to apologize. He says, bring the best robe, put a ring on his finger. The sandals bring it. This is all just pictures of just the father restoring him back into a relationship. And beautiful. Not only that, but he has, they're having a big party. They're having a big celebration. We see here God's heart, what God's heart is like when sinners come to him over joy. Let's have a big party. And go get the fattened calf because we're having a barbecue. We're going to have all meat, no vegetables. It's going to be great. <laughs> have a big party restored him back into relationship with himself. And this is just a beautiful, beautiful, the best story that ever had come from human lips for sure. 
a story that anyone who calls himself a child of God has experienced because ultimately we're all prodigals. Some of us may have manifested ourselves here, like, like the story here, and some of us may be more internal, not as external as much, but we're all prodigals. We've all wasted part of our life. God's given us life and we've wasted it to a certain extent. But the amazing thing for us to, to take away from this story, and I think a, a couple big ones. One, first, if you've never, if you are the rebel and you have never come back to the Father, right? This is like, today's the day. Don't be like the guy that I had talked to. Today's the day to come back to him. See his heart, what he's truly like, his compassion, his mercy. That's the first thing he desires. He's the Father of all mercies, Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. We can go to him. The Bible says that he'll by no means cast away anyone who comes to him. This is a beautiful thing. Sometimes in our own minds, though, we get, we get this stale, weak view of God's heart. Right? If I've messed up, I got to do you know, this, 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 and this before I can come back and ask for forgiveness or come back and be restored. Like, No, we just got to come to him. He wants to extend that mercy. Um, really quick. The prodigal, the prodigal in the Old Testament. You guys know that there's a story of the prodigal son in the Old Testament? The nation of Israel. I'm gonna throw it, throw it up real quick and we're just gonna step through this real quick, but it's, it's amazing. And it, it shows that this is God's, it's been God's heart for all eternity, right? And he will, he is just, he is holy. But if we can go to Jeremiah 31, there we go. First, 30, first 29 chapters of Jeremiah is just Israel, God's chosen people in rebellion towards him. They're, they're completely immoral, uh, complete idolatry, complete rebellion against God, doing their own thing. Dirty, and this is what Jeremiah 31, right before this he says, but even so, even with that, Jesus, uh, God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And then he goes in verse 20, he says, is not Ephraim, which is just another word for Israel, my dear son, the child of whom I delight, of course, it's a rhetorical question, yes. Though I often speak against him, you've done harsh, you know, I've spoken harsh things about him because of the way you're living, I still remember him. And that's the father, that's the father's heart, I still remember him. It's not that he would forget here, God does not forget, right? It's, but it's a matter of not forsaking, not forsaking him. And he says, therefore my heart yearns for him. Is that the view that you have of God? Does God's heart yearn for you even when you're, in the mud, in the pig, even when you fall short and you sin, you know God's heart still yearns for you. It's like a deep, intense emotion. It's like the word there for heart is like bowels, like that gut-wrenching feeling that you feel when you, when you have just such, such deep emotions. That's God's heart for us, the true us, the real us, not the, not the, not the us that we pretend to be maybe on social media or the us that maybe we, we just put a facade on sometimes when we come into church, but the real genuine you, even in your shortcomings, even in our sin, God's heart is still for us, that we come to him, that we come to him. And he says, I have great compassion. That's who I am. And so just in closing, like I want to just challenge is that our heart for God, we need to turn from our small view of God's heart and God's mercy and go to him, go to him with our sin, our shortcomings, our falls, be restored just like he, like he was restored today. Romans chapter five says that even while we were enemies with God, God loves us. 
And even while we were separated with God, even while we were sinners, he loved us. He reconciled us. He reconciled us. And he says, how much more now that you've been reconciled? So if you're thinking that was just me a long time ago, I had the prodigal story, but it's been a little bit distant. Like how much more now God loves us? And so in the midst of this story, this most outlandish story that Jesus could ever conjure up in his mind of the most degenerate, disgraceful person that he could think of, that's us. Maybe it didn't look like that, but if he loved someone like that that much, how much does he love us, right? And so let's, let us go and let us change that way, the way that, um, that we interact with God, that we come to God, and thus also interact with with, uh, with people. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. I'll pray for us. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, um, or we just come to you, God, and uh, even just turn from our small views of your heart, your goodness, and your compassion, God. We thank you that anyone who comes to you by no means cast out, God. Anyone who, who repents and turns to you, you'll receive, God. It doesn't matter what they've done, who they were, God. Your heart is for lost sinners, God, and you rejoice in sinners that come to you. And though sometimes, as the hymn says, God, we have a proneness to wander, a proneness to leave uh, the God that we love. Lord, we just pray that based on taking a glimpse of your heart today, God, and you pulling back the layers of your heart, that we would say, here's our heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. And so we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy, your compassion. We thank you for being our all in all, saving us from hell, God. Here we are, God. We want to come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 